0: we're essentially the first generation of young people that know what it means to be young in another part of the world. Um, And we were also, you know, a generation that grew up believing that we were, you know, going to take over the world, we were, you know, a rising superpower, we we grew up believing that we were going to be in an ascending part of the world. Um, So that, you know, all of these things, um, I think, gave us a sense of uh, agency. But um, when, you know, like, for instance, more of us are getting an education, more of us are attending school, more of us are choosing um, careers of our choice. But, you know, when it comes to this one thing, when it comes to marriage, you know, we're always sort of knocked down by our communities and families and told that this is the one thing that you don't do because, you know, it, it, you know, if, if, if you choose your own partner, you're, you're essentially um, threatening to destabilize society and you're thre- you're threatening to, to you know, topple over these delicate balances that allow societies and these various stratas to live in peace as they do.
1: There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like yeah. it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe This is The Desi Condition. Hi Bondus. Welcome back to The Desi Condition. I'm Shree, your host and creator of this podcast. Today we're diving into a topic that is as fascinating as it is complicated. In a country where weddings are practically a national sport with all the colors and Bollywood-level weddings, you would think that love marriages are more of the norm. But believe it or not, according to an article in the Harvard Political Review, a whopping 90% of marriages in India are still arranged. And in today's episode, we're talking about the other 10%. I'm joined here today with my incredible co-host, Anu.
2: Hey, Bondus. We're taking a closer look today at India's love marriage scene in an interview with Mansi Choksi, the author of The Newlyweds, and one of the brilliant minds behind NPR's new season of Rough Translation, titled The Love Commandos. Also on the show are host Gregory Warren and and journalist Lauren Frayer. The Love
1: Commando centers around the enigmatic figure of Sanjoy Sachdev and his intricate web of promises and deceit. Throughout the season, The Love Commandos explores the type of scam he was orchestrating and the dissonance between what he promised and what was ultimately delivered to those who trusted him. And it's not just about his actions. It's also about understanding why so many people place their faith in him as a middleman. So Monsi, thank you so much for joining us. Can we just start with a little bit about you? What piqued your interest in this topic in general? And what are some preconceived notions regarding love marriage and elopement that you had?
0: yeah um thank you so much for having me uh uh, my name is mansi choksi i'm a journalist and a writer Um, last year i published a book called the newlyweds and one third of the book um, deals with the love commandos um the book is also um you know a sort of um, um, narrative nonfiction account of the changes that are sweeping um, india through the lens of love marriage and through the lens of love essentially the so I've been, I grew up in India. I um, started my um, my career at The Times of India as a reporter for The Times of India in Mumbai, um, and um, and then I left um, to go to grad school. Um, when I came back um, to India, I was sitting in front of the TV on a Sunday, um, you know, watching. Um, a show that um, you know kind of transfixed the nation at that time. It was called Satya Satyamev Jayate. Um, I think uh, the closest uh, equivalent to to that would be um, uh, the Oprah Show. Um, you know, it was a uh, it was um, hosted by Amir Khan, and um, you know, it was it took a sort of news um, and talk show format, and it you know was uh, was um, a show that was meant to explore you know some of the serious issues that. Um, um, that India was facing at the time. And the, 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 the interesting thing was that it would, it, it would come on one of the largest uh, Hindi entertainment channels. Um, um, so during one of those episodes, I came across the Love Commandos. Um, and I, you know, I saw Sanjay Sachdev, um, this man in his like early 50s, um, you know, who was quoting Urdu poetry on one hand and, you know, like wielding Supreme Court judgment Um, verdicts on the other hand Um, and um, you know he was he was essentially he was presented as this man who um, ran a volunteer group that uh, protected uh, young lovers um, in India at great personal cost Um, and that's when I first became interested in the love commandos I started kind of you know just keeping an eye on them it was a um they were they were not a new news story they were they had been written about in every major newspaper and magazine um He had a lot of international uh press and a lot of international attention um so yeah, I was just kind of like keeping an eye on it and then in twenty sixteen um i um, um returned to India uh, to do a piece for Harper's magazine um I wrote a piece on the love Commandos for Harpers. Um, that eventually grew into a book called The Newlyweds. And then finally, um, you know, the Love, uh, the Love Commandos series at um, Rough Translation. Um, so that's so Sanjay Sachdev and the Love Commandos has is just something that I've been thinking about for a better part of the past 10 years.
1: So I definitely um, wanted to talk about the show. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Um and we know that the show kind of gave a platform to um, to Sanjay Sachdev and the Love Commandos to reach mainstream India. And especially impressionable, potentially impressionable young South Asians uh, trying to make their own path and questioning the stronghold of arranged marriages in India. Uh, but I wanted to ask you first is why, why did something like the Love Commandos need to exist?
0: Right. Um, so I think... that, I think, you know, I I, I just want to explain to you why marriages are of such grave importance in Indian society. Um, So when we think about arranged marriage, that is a concept that is peculiar to, you know, you know, Eastern societies, especially South Asia. Um, When we think about marriage, we just think about love marriage, right? Uh, But in in India, the default kind of marriage is arranged marriage. And um, that's because arranged marriage is a tool that is used to cement boundaries. We're essentially a society that derives our identity and our sense of self from the communities and the groups that we belong to um so you know not only am i um a young person but i'm a young person belonging to a particular community religion um clan subclan region language all of these various factors cumulatively give us our sense of identity um everything about daily life in india is arranged around Collectivism is arranged around these identities that come from various groups. Um, and marriage actually plays a very important role in cementing those power hierarchies. Um, so marriage between two people belonging to the same warp and weft of the same community class, et cetera, et cetera, um, is a way for people in power to consolidate and keep power. Um, so it, yeah, it is it is essentially a tool to continue to, um, um, yeah, to, to make powerful people more powerful. Um, and that's, and, you know, hierarchies, um, um, stronger. Um, so that's, that's, that's the role that arranged marriage plays in Indian society. And that's why it is such a cherished observance. Um, where also this particular generation of young people is is also incredibly unique. Where we're the first generation of Indians that grew up after the economy liberalized. Uh, we're the first generation of young people that are different from our parents' and grandparents' generation because we were able to see what young people, um, how young people elsewhere in the world live. Um, we had access to the internet, to social media, to, to phones. Um, And pop culture that, um, you know, before the country was uh, liberalized were were really quite hard to come by. Um, So, you know, in a sense, we're, we're essentially the first generation of young people that know what it means to be young in another part of the world um and we were also a, a you know a generation that grew up believing that we were you know going to take over the world we were you know a rising superpower we 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 grew up believing that we were going to be in an ascending part of the world um so that you know all of these things um i think gave us a sense of uh, agency but um when it, you know like for instance, more of us are getting an education, more of us are attending school, more of us are choosing um, careers of our choice. But you know, when it comes to this one thing, when it comes to marriage, you know, we're always sort of knocked down by our communities and families and told that this is the one thing that you don't do. Because, you know, it, it, you know, if, if, if you choose your own partner, you're, you're essentially um, threatening to destabilize society and you're, thre- you're threatening to, to, you know, topple over these delicate balances that allow societies and these various stratas to live in peace as they do. Does that make sense?
2: That was yeah, wonderful. Thank you for played. providing all that background <laughs> on it. Thank you. Um, so I I love that you mentioned how there is now a platform for empowerment for South Asian youth and for just having more agency around like many aspects of their lives. Um, What I do want us to talk about is the difference, the stark difference in media portrayal and the actual reality of, uh, of of what South Asians have to face when dealing with having to find uh, a life partner. So what do we not know about the aftermath of love marriages once Um, people pursue them you know i i think for my for myself i grew up watching bollywood movies and i and and love marriages love marriages were always seen as like this empowering thing you know like people that fought to the end to 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 fight for the person that they love and either they would show the happily ever after or they would not show what happened to them after so i want to just take some time to talk about you know, what do we know about the aftermath of these love marriages? And from your experience covering these stories, you know, can you share with us what you found?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that you actually I love that you asked that because um, a lot of what the Rough Translation series actually does is kind of um, um untangle these ideas that Bollywood... Um, you know, projects about what, you know, the the idea of love as a big subversive force that is able to bridge divides of, you know, caste, class, um, religion, etc. And, you know, um, in Bollywood, there's typically two endings, right? One is the idea that love itself is too great to be contained into life. So it usually ends in, you know, with the death of uh, one of um, either the the couple or, you know, one of um, the parties that You know, choose love or the other is that, um, you know, uh, or the other is that they move away or, you know, like the final, the most satisfying end after Dilwale Dulanya came was that you would win over your parents approval, right? These are the three possible endings Um, in real life. Um, that's usually not the case in real life when a young person, especially the kind of people that we're talking about who passed through the shelter of the love commandos or the kind of people that you'll read about in my book, um, they're, they're people that are not protected by the privileges of power and money. They're working class Indians that grow up in, um, you know, humble and modest backgrounds that are, um, you know, essentially um, part of a generation that is also ha- you know, that also has this like deep sense of filial piety. Like, you know, a lot of um, the, the choices that we make are, are determined by um, parental approval. Um, so, you know, like for the, for instance, the six people that I follow in my book, um, you know, they're, they're not the kind of, they're not rebels. They're not the kind of young people who, uh, you know, have, um, done anything subversive up until the point of choosing to marry who they love. Um, so, um, you know, they're, they're essentially people who've been told how to live their lives they've been told what to wear what to eat who to hang out with um with school to go to what career path uh, to pursue etc and then they choose this person that they want to marry and then they run away what what happens is that once you know uh, these relationships progress at you know breakneck speed these things uh these relationships um you know go from like dating to proposal in really short periods of time because there's this looming threat of arranged marriage and then you know by the time they're running away they're not even they're pretty much strangers they're two young people who've never dated anybody else um and have had to make the choice to be with each other because it's you know literally come down to life or death um and when they do run away uh, i think a lot of uh, to answer your question a lot of it has to do with um, the aftermath i think is is regret um, is you know is guilt is joy is you know you know what i 've learned from all my reporting is that love can take various forms it can look like um, rebellion one day but then and after you make this big decision of choosing love over everything else it can also look like regret and it can look like hurt and it can look like homesickness so yeah when the dramatic power of the love story kind of fizzles away what essentially happens is that um, this grand love that we we hear about in the movies and that we fight for has to get reassigned into the smallness of everyday life so you know it's um, it's a it's it's a big adjustment for for young people who see something on the screen and expect life um to kind of go the same way and then when but actually when the lights go out it's a completely different kind of reality it's um you know it just doesn't feel as dramatic anymore it doesn't feel as satisfying in a lot of ways um and um you know the sad reality is that um um often you know the you know the girl's family Uh, will not forgive. Um, So, you know, you just end up uh, losing touch and losing the love and affection of, uh, you know, people that raised you and, you know, are essentially were your support system up until this point. It's a really sad and, um, yeah, truly heartbreaking um, uh,
2: thing to witness, actually. I definitely seen a lot of fear being instilled in youth when they are reaching an age of, Considering marriage and dating, um, I've, I've I've spent summers in India. I've had family members in cities like Jaipur. Very educated, yeah. um, you know, come from with these really so-called like great families, and, um, I have seen firsthand like that fear using being used as like a tool. Yeah. Like if you decide to to go forward with living your life the way you want where you want to live it, or leaving this home, there's no place for you right. when you come back and it's like those conditions are kind of like placed onto to to south asian youth where they they kind of are so terrified to even go down a path of like yeah. self discovery that they 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 don't even they don't even do it and then and then they, they that that self introspection is is not encouraged and yet they're watching bollywood movies that show them that empower them so it's like it's such a confusing Absolutely. message I can assume for for Indians, especially in India, like at least being in America, at least being like born and raised in the United States, we still had some form of agency because of our surroundings and because of the messaging that we got in in this country. But I can only imagine how damaging it could be for someone that's in India, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In the Love Commando season, uh, you the three of you start to cover like different kinds of couples, couples from different economic backgrounds, even. So my question for you is what is it that the love commandos just for our listeners? What is it that the love commandos actually propose that they would do for these people?
0: Yeah. So the love commandos um, is a volunteer group that promises to provide shelter and protection um, to couples on the run, so what they promise is a place to stay, um, is a place uh, is a place where yeah they can be protected and safe. So you know um, it, there is like a cloud of anonymity and a cloud of um, like no you know nobody will know where they are. Their um, their whereabouts are obfuscated. Um, and in addition to that they'll also help with like legal documentation so they'll have the couple um, they'll they'll help the couple get married get their paperwork sorted and um, you know basically make sure that they have the right documents um, um, that won't allow them to be separated by their families that's that's essentially what they promise that's what that is Yeah, that is what they promise. But obviously, um, the reality is that it's, you know, slightly darker
2: and murkier uh, than what they promise. So why do these couples trust a middleman instead of just doing it themselves? And I feel like we kind of have been shedding a little bit of light into what that answer may be. But what are your theories? I think
0: think this kind of just boils down to the fact that young Indian people, um, we may think that we're, we're... different from our parents' generation, but where in many ways we're not. Our lives are so interdependent and intertwined um, into the Indian family structure. Um, These are young people that um, have never lived alone, um, don't have a means of income. Um, Their identities are tied into their, their parents' occupation and status um and yeah basically they don't have the um the independence and, and primarily the economic and social independence to make a choice of this uh, of this kind um so if you were um, um you know i think the reason people go to the love commandos is because a one they don't have the ability to live outside and and b is also because we're also a generation of people that have really place uh unbelievable amount of emphasis on what our parents think about us um that it is almost comforting um to go to an organization where you have an elder telling you you're actually doing the right thing it gives them a lot of moral confidence Mm -hmm. um you know we have um uh, you know it's almost like a surrogate family that they find for themselves only this family like agrees with what they're doing so for instance a couple that goes to the shelter has to um call Satchudev Baba and call the other uh, Love Commando's Papa and you know there's just this um this sense of being in a surrogate family I think a lot of the couples draw like um comfort from that system so these are the two
2: reasons that the couples go there so to me, when I was listening to these episodes, I felt the first thing I felt was this is a very vulnerable population, a very vulnerable yeah. group of people that has been cast aside. And they're looking for some sort of community, some sort of comfort, some sort of safety that no one can provide for them. And that makes the situation even more dire. Um, I don't know if I'm have anything to add to that, but that's just something that I felt like throughout as I was listening to the episodes, I felt I felt almost like this was like a powerless group of people that wanted to do something that, you know, felt mm-hmm. impossible. And so they would turn to anybody. And so I think that the middleman became more than just a middleman, the middleman became I like the savior. He definitely had a savior complex, at least. Um- I think there's definitely like
1: a power struggle there, like you described that we they are expected to call him Baba, they were expected to call him the the commando's papa um there's something there, and you start mentioning at some point the guilt tripping that happens when the couples are kind of starting to question like, wait, are we actually trapped or what's really happening here
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I mean absolutely like the 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 fact that um you know a lot of um I think Subsave is actually really smart for employing this like surrogate family narrative because it is another way to conceal a lot of the abusive behavior that uh, went on in the shelter. So, for instance, like asking the couples to, you know, give him a foot massage or, like rub his feet, uh, you know, this would be completely inappropriate anywhere else. But in a place where you're calling somebody uh, Baba, it doesn't seem so wild. Right. Um, There's just, you know, um, it's a it's a really clever ploy to, like, set this up in this way. Um, Also, you know, things like um, the couples will will pay a big amount. And then, you know, if they were to ask him, uh, you know, where like, what have you done with all our money? And like, why is our work not being done? Um, You know, he'll have a pretty big reaction and he'll say, well, you know, I am elder to you. How dare you ask me? You know, you should know that um, um, I'll always have, uh, you know, your, your best interest in mind. Um, this is another sort of like way where, you know, in Indian families to ask a question is to disrespect, um, when it comes to, you know, the relationship with elders. Um, so, you know, he, he's, he very smartly, um, uses that to his advantage.
1: So w- what else was going on in there? He claimed to be doing one thing um, but obviously there was something else going on what else was going on in there how else was he taking advantage of these couples uh,
0: yeah essentially um, you know I think the the reason that we found this um, so intriguing to start with is is that here's a man who has um, here's a man who is promising freedom um, to young people who want to make a choice for themselves, and then is essentially um, stopping them and kind of like imprisoning them in a way, you know. And I just, you know, just that, that, um, that just felt so counterintuitive to his, you know, like to his mission and to his personality. And it kept, I kept wondering, what is it about him? Why is he just not doing. The thing like why is he just not doing what he's promising to do what is he getting out of just keeping couples with him um then you know there were, there were so many theories that um came to mind one was that is it is he is he just you know a, a lonely person and you know is, is he looking for company is he you know keeping them for longer so that he gets more donations from the west is he um you know using them as free domestic labor uh you, you know but I, but I think that I think the closest answer to the truth is that this is a man that uh was always in need of an audience and and now he had this like captive audience in his shelter so he just kept performing for them and the minute they wanted to leave he just um you know this this yeah that just threw him off he comes from a pretty decent well to do family like when lauren visited Um, his wife and his father in in their family home she was struck by you know like how comfortable they were and you know um the shelter is really sort of like bare bones and um it's you know it's no frills um and it you know it made her wonder why is it that he chooses to to leave his real family to live with the surrogate family like what about what about this makes sense um, and I think, yeah, the closest answer is that he
2: needs an audience. There's, I found some conflicting testimonials on experiences living with Sunjoy. I, yesterday I was doing a little bit of research and I, there were a few articles where I saw comments on how he extorted couples for like 40,000 rupees to, to stay with him for their own safety and he kept asking for more right. money but then there's another couple that says oh he never asked right. us for anything yeah. and you know we're so grateful yeah. to him because we got to survive yeah,
0: that's why so it's uh in the in the podcast as well we we're, we're speaking to two kinds of experiences one is um we, one is Gaurav and Akriti who have the negative experience but there's also Surya and Akanksha who um you know fight for him um until the end and I you know that's a very like in all the cohorts that we've talked to, and we talked to like several, um, this, this is this. You know, there was this kind of dichotomy where we had like we ha- we 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 came across people who were just like you know such Dave's God, nothing is, um, nothing can undo uh, uh, you know the blessing that he's been for us. And then there's the others where he's where they're like um, he was absolutely exploitative and you know abusive, and um, he um, just got away with a lot of um, stuff he should not have been able to get away with.
1: So this has got to be very emotionally taxing, right, for the couples. What is? I know you follow a few couples throughout the podcast, um, and so I don't know how much you've followed up with these people, but just in the years that you've been, um, just yeah, reading and you know researching the um, love marriage in India. Yeah, uh, what's the effect that this has had on couples themselves? Like, are there? regrets um and also frankly yeah. what is the longevity of these couples or does love really conquer all
0: yeah yeah so in my book i actually follow three couples that choose um to to marry each other against um um you know a, a force that's keeping them apart so i have a couple named nitu and davinder that end up at the love commando shelter they belong to the same village and they're from different religions and castes which makes their relationship taboo I have a Hindu and Muslim couple, Arif and Monica, who get entangled in this conspiracy theory known as Love Jihad and get entangled in this, yeah, in this controversy and are being hunted by the Bajrang Dal. And then I have a same-sex couple named Rishman Preeti um, against the backdrop of section 377 and you know, the kind of um um you know what the um, striking down of that law means for the lived. Reality for a working class lesbian couple. So my, my book follows these three couples over the course of six years, and I can tell you what happens to each of them. With uh, Nitwan and Devinder, who passed through the Love Commando shelter um, after after shelter, they kind of um, move back into to, to a village where they live with Devinder's extended relatives. Um, and of course, you know there is a, a you know a massive change in them. Like when I first met them, um, you know they were they were young, full of hope. And, you know, when by the time they leave the book, they're, uh, you know, sort of um, a little bit more jaded. Nitu is, has completely lost touch with her family. She is living with the Vindar's aunt, who has taken it upon herself to train her to be a good daughter-in-law. Um, so, yeah, there is just a, you know, a, a lot of layers of like shame and regret and guilt um, with that this couple finds themselves with. And then there's Arif and Monica, and that's another whole, you know, thing about like being caught up uh, and being hunted by the Bajrang Dal and, you know, running from village to village and place to place and trying to start a life, uh, you know, in anonymity uh, with the fear that you're going to be, you know, somebody's going to pull your collar on some um, street corner and you're going to be dragged and, you know, possibly beaten and lynched. It's a very real, visceral fear to live with um their relationship um you know the, the the thing that i've noticed with both their relationships is that it um this it wears them down the pressures and the the stress of um, of this kind of reality yeah it obviously takes a toll on anyone who's going through it um and i try to dis- i try to show that in my book a lot a large part of my book kind of lingers in the aftermath of these elopements um so you know where the Bollywood story um ends my book begins and a large part of the book is just like in in the sort of mundane moments of everyday life where they're making these small calculations about how to get by for Reshma and Preeti they actually decide to split um, Reshma and Preeti decide to split because Preeti decides that it is, um, you know, just too much for her to bear. And she just wants to enter a, um, heteronormative relationship. And now she's married to a man and, um, Reshma's dating another woman. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, none of the marriages that I have come across that passed through the love commando shelter have actually ended, but obviously, you know, they've, they're strained and they're they're under an immense uh, amount of uh, pressure and tension.
2: That is very yeah. real. It's very yeah. realistic. <laughs> very realistic, which yeah. we don't see in the movies. So you so 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 you spent six years covering yeah. these couple of stories and and. And all the, you, you, I'm sure you were able to get all the emotions and just like the changing perspectives on whether this is worth it or not. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah. Did I you mean, find them all questioning that?
0: I think so. I think the, the 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 question of whether this is worth it or not kind of looms heavy um, on all three of these marriages. Um, and I think it, um, you know, it's kind of like, a, a character in the lives of anyone story that um where love marriage is um is a choice um you know this is this is just something that you have to reckon with when you live in indian society um it's It's just a question that you have to you are forced to answer on the daily
1: so in spending all these years covering these stories following these couples around, have you noticed any changes kind of in the trajectory of how society deals with these runaway marriages.
0: Um, no, I wish. And I think that's why save was so interesting because it's almost as if there was like finally another kind of solution because, um, you know, it, it, his, I think the, the promise of protecting lovers was just such a unique idea when it you know, first came about and, you know, it's just sad that, um, you know, now hearing, I mean, spending more time with such, Dave and, you know, like, you know, hearing about the fact that he was um, um, arrested and all of that and charged with all these, uh, uh, you know, crimes. Um, it's the one of the sad takeaways is that here's another example of the bad thing that can happen to you if you chose a range of marriage. Of course, the most extreme is honor crime. But, um, you know, on, on some other, uh, on s- somewhere on that um, uh, 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 continuum is also this idea that there's a possibility of you being defrauded or extorted or blackmailed or used as a pawn in like a larger like game to earn money. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's sad that it's almost as if such they had found a sort of like flush idea, like a notion that um, here's a way to to make a quick buck, because on one hand, there's this market of young people that are seeking protection. And on the other hand, here's another market of people that want to, to you know, uh, people that are like liberal minded, Indians living abroad that want to fuel change an Indian society by giving me a bunch of money to, to make, these, make, make these things happen. Nobody's really following through whether, um, you know, that money is being put to good use. So I, it was a clever idea, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah.
1: So for the people that you followed, um, I don't know if you followed anyone long enough to know this, but um, those that end up having children... Perhaps, yeah. Have you noticed anything different in maybe they're raising their kids in a different way?
0: No, because um, because the couples that I I followed are, um, are you know, are from the working class, are from the lower working class. So um, I think that for both both Arv and Monica and Neetu and Devinder have kids, and for them it's really about survival. It's just about making sure that they're in a place where Neetu's family will not show up and try to kill them. Um, to Just, yeah, to just basically making sure that their child gets a basic education. For Arif and Monica, their daughter doesn't even go to school. They're, uh, yeah, I think it's just, they're, um, how do I say this? Um, they're so preoccupied with just surviving and making through another day that I don't think they're thinking about the big ideas of whether they should be raising um, their kids in a different way.
1: That's really sad. Yeah. Are there happy endings? Do you have any happy endings to share with us? Uh, so I
0: think, I think actually for both Neetu and Davindar and RF and Monica, their endings are happy. It's just that they've had to readjust their definition okay. of happiness. Does that make sense? It's also like a lot of growing up, no, like they're they're 16, 17 year olds running away, not quite understanding the consequences of uh, what this means. They don't have the means to start a life together. They don't have the skills to get a job to like, they don't have a way to earn a life. Um, And they're learning all of those things. So in addition to being jaded, they're also growing up a little bit. Yeah. And as they're growing up, their ideas of what it means to be happy are also evolving. Um, So, yeah, I think I, in my mind, Neetu and Devinder and Arif and Monica are happy. They're happy together.
2: Okay. Okay. That brings me happiness too.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It just points to like the larger, like the, the, the actual issue where... It becomes like a survival yeah. thing rather than a like a thriving right. thing if you decide to go against the exactly. status quo. Exactly, you're so right about that.
1: It makes me wonder what are the new cycles of trauma that are now going to begin from these couples. Yeah, it's this is probably yeah. increasing in percentage too, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. What are future generations going to, to look like? What are the, the cycles that, the, you know, the generational yeah. traumas that they are going to have to dismantle? I don't know. That scares me.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, like, I mean, for instance, like, um, our friend Monica's daughter has never met her maternal grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not aware that her mother once used to be Hindu. Um, just these ideas, um, like you know, there's a go- they're going to discover and unravel their truths slowly as they're growing up and coming into their own, the trauma and um,
1: yeah, one of these the kids under- is going to discover that they, you know, were were deeply against their grandparents' wishes, their wishes, their own their right. own family.
2: Right, I can't exactly. imagine
1: what uh, what that's going to bring to yeah. them.
2: So, do you think that? that it will remain the same? And um, do you think that it's a lost cause uh, regarding the trajectory of this activism and for, you know, youth in India and South Asians pursuing um, marriage for love? I mean,
0: I I really hope that's not the case. Um, I think the thing that will actually bring about change is when young people and young Indians in particular start to... Stop living their lives um, um, based on whether or not something that they do will disappoint their parents. I think that itself, if we just like kind of remove ourselves and like if we start think start to think of ourselves as fully grown, fully like well rounded grown ups that can make choices and be responsible for those choices, I think um, a lot of this will change. Um, imagine if a young person runs away and feels confident in themselves that they're going to be able to like make a life for themselves with their with the partner of their choice without needing the support of their uh, friends and family. They, the love commanders would never need to exist. Um, and I think it, I think a lot of it has to do just with like financial and emotional independence. And I think that um, hopefully, as more of us get an education, more of us like enter the workforce. Uh, more women don't drop out of the workforce for marriage, um, things will change.
2: Do you think that there is a there are larger implications for yeah. women of course. compared to men? Yeah, it's usually I'm the women that
0: never speak to their parents again, the women's parents that never speak to them again. Um, if anybody is forgiving, it's usually the, the boy's parents who are taking their back in. Uh, but it's the girl's parent. And of course, mm. this goes back to the same ideas where women are considered the repository of family honor. Um, and when a woman decides to go against her family and choose someone um, outside of her parents' liking, it's an affront to not only the family, but to the community and like the larger like clan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this uh, just sees like this this idea that like women where um, the brunt of it is, um, yeah, is 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 real and universal
2: have you seen instances where uh, parents will finally come around when grandpa- grand, grand, grandchildren no, are born? Know, so
0: actually over the course of that... um, uh, reporting the book when um, when nitu gave birth, um, I was hopeful that that would be the case. And, um, you know, I know that she tried to call her parents a few times um, and even let them know that, um, you know, now they were grandparents. And uh, the, the one time that she did speak to them, they said, it doesn't matter to us because, you know, he's he's got bad blood in him. So he's not our grandchild. Um, that was what happened with uh, Nitu and the Winder, and with Arif and Monica. Um, I know that uh, Arif's daughter, do- I mean Arif and Monica's daughter, has you know been in touch with um, her maternal grandparents, but the you know when they do talk to her, um, they basically try to erase uh, her paternal lineage. So they will you know just you know not not talk to not not talk about her dad by naming her he just basically like will him to disappear in the sense where they just will not acknowledge that he even exists uh, which is also really traumatic for a young for a young kid
1: there's a quote from the NPR article that um, was published that was talking about, it's about the new season of a translation um, called Love Commandos, right? And it says that, yeah. um, and it's a quote by you, it's two in every three Indians are under the age of 35. No other country has more young people. Yet we are torn about whether it's acceptable to be young and do the things that young people do. I, I think the first part of that does present like some kind of hope. Um, yeah, that, you know, it's not as though, yes, it is a small population that is going through this and, de- you know, defying these these um, expectations, but it is also a collective generation that's watching this happening and understanding that, OK, here's what's happening and here's uh, what's wrong about this. And also they have other things happening on the side, right? They've got all the media that they consume. They've got, we're more connected than ever. So, I I mean, I I think that it seems as though, even although like you personally haven't seen as much, um, you know, much of a trajectory in this activism, I like to think based off of that, that it's it's not like it's a lost cause, right?
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I hope you're right about that.
1: Do you feel like what were I don't know if we discussed um, what were you expecting to find? What was like shocking to you, Mm -hmm. I should say? What was shocking to you when you started studying these couples?
0: Yeah, Um, actually, when I started hanging out at the Love Commando shelter, I thought I was writing a story about a group of middle aged men that were putting themselves at great risk um, to protect the choices of young people. And I thought this was going to be another glowing story about, you know, just the, the lens that um, these men had gone through and um, to, to fight for this mission. Um, And as I started hanging out more at the shelter, it turned out that the truth was actually something else. Um, When I was interviewing Neetu and Davindar, I felt that, firstly, all the interviews happened in Sarsev's room, which itself was strange. And, um, when I, when I would talk to them, you know, I would feel like a twitch in his eyebrow and Neetu and the Davindra would would understand that they must now shut up. So, uh, you know, it was like clearly um, he was, um, you know, he had kind of t- told them how to present themselves to a journalist. Um, and um, I remember on the fourth or fifth day, you know, it, it kind of just became harder and harder to go back because um, Sachdeh was really savvy because he had been a journalist himself. Um, so he knew, uh, you know, what was interesting to a journalist. And then he just kind of didn't want want you to return. So I would just have to, you know, every time I would go back, I would have to find a new excuse. I would, you know, I'd say like, oh, I got you guys a, you know, a new plate of samosas. So I found an idli guy downstairs and I got some idlis. And I just thought I could like come and share these with you. And I would like buy another day. Um, and then on the last day before I was leaving, um, um, when such Dave had stepped out of the room, the actually, um, took my email address in a small sheet of paper. They weren't allowed to, to ask me for my email, uh, such didn't want us to be in touch. And he gave me his email and mo number on a chit. And he said, don't tell anybody and I'll get in touch with you when I leave. And I'll tell you the real story. Um, then I went back to New York and then, um, a, a month later I heard from the and that's when I returned. Um. And that's when i found out the whole story so i mean the, the the early days i felt that something was amiss but i really wasn't sure what because there was no opportunity to really hear about it because every interview was being monitored by such it was only after um um i left that um i found out and and i think that was the unique thing about my reporting um it was the first time that Um, a couple had, like, left and got in touch and told the full story. So it was the first story that was critical of the Love Commandos. Um, um, Yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was, and I think those stories are actually the most interesting when you go in expecting something and um, leave uh, just completely confused by what you saw and, like, unable to figure out what it is, and then it actually turns out to be the complete opposite of what you were expecting
1: that's
2: amazing that's yeah. really brave that he reached I want, out i want to talk yeah that i'm sure i wanted to ask if you felt that he was mainly fearful yeah. What was her what was his like motivation? Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I to reach think out. He was um I think the reason he reached out to me is because he wanted someone to keep an eye on his case and he didn't want something bad to happen to him and it to just go down in anonymity. I think it I think he felt safe knowing that there was a journalist watching him so that if something bad were to happen, somebody would know. So when I went you back see. to India I hung out with them um, in their village in Haryana I went with them to um, um you know to to meet lawyers and cops um so it, it, if you read my book um you find out that the Neetu and Davinder were at the Love commando shelter and while they were there Neetu's family attacked Davinder's family in the village um, they beat up his mother. Um she was severely injured. They destroyed his house. They stole um all the valuables in his house. and um yeah, they, basically his mother was like dragged to the village square and like beaten publicly. Um, and he heard about it, and he left the shelter because he felt this, you know, like obviously this stroke of guilt. Um so when he I actually went back with them to the village as they went to um, register the complaint um to the cops. And I think it, he just felt kind of safe knowing that I was with him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he, it was just not one of uh, another case of like a villager making the same complaint to the cop.
1: Are there other organizations that do something similar or maybe components of what the Love Commandos do?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's really great um, activists that work at the grassroots. Um, There's a woman named Jagmati Sangwan, who Mm -hmm. has done an amazing amount of work um, in the Haryana Belt uh, uh, to protect, uh, uh, you know, people like Neetvandar Vindar. Like, uh, you know, there is a famous case of a couple um, called Manoj and Babli that were actually victims um, of an honor crime because they belong to the same Gotra. Um they were brutally murdered by uh my bubbly 's family he was um he was strang she was strangulated and he was forced to drink yes. pesticide or the opposite mm. and their bodies were found um, um you know wrapped in gunny sacks in a village canal um and that that case actually um you know kind of like transfixed the nation for uh, months. Um, and, um, it was the first time that, uh, a Karp Panchayat leader was, uh, was convicted in this honor crime. Um, and it was Jagmati Sangwan who like really helped, uh, you know, bring those, um, you know, kind of helped in that case. Um, but yeah, there's this uh, amazing amount of people at the grassroots that, that do really valuable work, um. But I think Sachdev's modus operandi is to be the most famous so that Mm -hmm. uh, when the donations come in, he's the first person um, to benefit from them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's so media savvy. You know, it's um, at the grassroots um, when, you know, when when you have uh, people that are working for the cause of it, they may not really know how to, um, um, you know, Kind of be their own PR. They're machine, not as charismatic. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Great choice, by the way, to name the show after the organization. Very good for SEO results.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that was uh, that was the NPR uh, desk's uh, idea, <laughs> not mine. I wish it was. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I don't want to give away what. Happened um, with what what's ha- what happens in the the Love Commandos the show because I think that people really should go and just listen to it. Um, but he he was very he's very cunning and it's it's so interesting um, and it's so heartbreaking the the things yeah. that he says he's going to do and what actually ends up happening. Um, I really hope that you know people who are listening. I hope we piqued your interest in the show um, and also just in you know, this cause altogether. I, and, and so I wanted to ask you, Mansi, like, is there anything that we can do as individuals?
0: Yeah, I mean, what comes to mind is Jagmati Sangwan. If you can, look her up. Um, she's she's fantastic. Um, yeah, um, I will I will actually try to think about more organizations. Um, but yeah, they're, they're one that is, I mean, she's 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 like a one-man party, one-woman party. Mm-hmm. Um, she was fantastic um, Nothing else that comes to mind. I think the okay. uh, what i 'd say is just be um, you know careful about where you 're sending money because as we know from the love commandos um, a little more due diligence is is needed before um, uh, you know you know people send money for good courses, but they 're not always used for the best courses right um, and that 's that 's the learning I think from the love commandos.
1: Um, so I will put your suggestions in our website. Um, yeah. And where where else can we find you?
0: Um, I'm everywhere. Uh, <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> I'm um, at on Twitter, Instagram at Mansi underscore Choksi. and I also have a website uh, that's ManziChoixi dot com. Uh, but um, yeah, my book is everywhere.
1: Okay. Great. Yeah. So we will put that in the episode description as well as on the website at tdcpodcast.com. Well, thank, you. Um, thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you for us. your work. Thank you so much thank for you having your me. work. Thank you. thank you for your thank insights.
0: You. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. So that it.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So that is the end of our episode, listeners. So as I said, you can find more information on tdcpodcast.com. We will post all of Monsi's links, all the the links to the NPR episodes as well. They're definitely worth a listen, so please go listen. Um, You can reach out to us at The Desi Condition on uh, Instagram and threads. You can also find us at Condition at gmail.com. And of course, uh, visit our website for this episode and more. We hope you have a wonderful day. Stay safe, stay warm, and talk to you next time.